Oh, baby. The toughest podcast on the World Wide Web coming back at you for the first time in almost two whole weeks. Your hosts both on the bright side of upper respiratory infections, ready to spit that shit just like we always do. I'm Zach. Get down on it, Gleason. Here with my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Gage Fat Cat Hamby. And man, as much as it was nice to take a couple of weeks to just let some life happen, I did not enjoy not getting to talk a little UFC with you the past couple of weeks, my friend. As much as I missed it, I didn't miss those fucking dud cards that we just had the past two weeks. I'm all for gender equality UFC, but that was a miss. Look, I was about to say, as much as it's never ideal to take a two-week hiatus from doing a podcast... If there was a right time to get her done, the middle of October was, like Gage said, it was a dud. It was a, it was a good time for us, but we're back, man. We're here. The calf kick experience is still alive and well six months in. Yes, sir. All right. Well, since we don't have anything to talk about, nobody does about the past two weeks, let's dive on in. I was about to say, we could sit here and heap jeeb and bullshit, but... Don't make no sense when we got fights to talk about. Coming up on the opening of the main card this week, we have Nick Nagamumura versus Ike Villanueva. Uh, Nick is coming in uh, 10 and 1 in the light heavyweight division. That's 205, of course, coming at six foot with a 78 inch reach, while his pudgy counterpart, Ike Villanueva, uh, is coming in at 6'1 with the 73-inch reach. So Nick is going to have quite the reach advantage. Um, this is a pretty interesting matchup from my perspective for a number of reasons, especially how conflated Nick's record is at 10-1. and one. I don't think he's nearly as good as his record indicates. Zach, what do you think? No, I agree, man. I agree. I don't think 10-1 and one is a fair – Fair indicator of where we're just going to call him Nick, where Nick stands. But, you know, Ike Villanueva has been around. He's been doing this for a long time. The dude's a veteran of the game. So I think you look at these guys and how they fight, and this one just seems to promise to be a slugfest. It seems that, excuse me, seems that these guys are going to meet in the middle and they're going to want to throw down. I don't think either one of these guys really has business being on the main card. So I think being there, you know, it's an opportunity where if you go out and you perform, this is something somewhere that you could be on a more permanent basis. However, you know, this is one of those fights that with the bigger guys in the heavier weight class, it could get sloppy if it goes on for, for three rounds. If we have to watch 15 minutes of this, we might get bored. We might get a little bit upset with the fact that these guys are professional mixed martial artists they're they're highly trained weapons but long story short i think it's going to come down to who's quicker i think it's going to come down to who's beating who to the punch and i think just being younger just being fresher just being a guy who's still trying to climb the ladder i see i I see nick getting a knockout here man i see him being the guy that's first to the punch for at least a good round and then you know into that first half around two some of those punches that weren't stinging so bad in the first round are going to start to connect a little bit more. Yeah, for uh, Nick, I think what we saw in this last fight was fun to watch for, I think it went all three rounds, if I'm not mistaken. Or Yeah. 
yeah, it, it went it went longer than I expected, especially with them just chunking leather and throwing absolute haymakers at each other versus um, a fellow that trains with Stipe. I forget his name. But what scared me was how hard he got hit and just ate it. This guy has a block head and gets hit a lot. His defense, his boxing defense is not very good. He doesn't move out of the way. He gets hit a lot and just keeps on coming forward like a fucking zombie, which is scary, especially with somebody like Ike Villanueva on the other side. <clears throat> because Ike, um, let me sum up his game. He gets knocked out or he knocks somebody out. There's really not an in-between. Um, he likes to throw. His boxing is actually not bad, but he's he's susceptible to going down. And I don't think this is going to hit the ground for either of them. I think maybe if Nick gets in trouble, he pushes him up against the fence. But for the most part, I see a slugfest. I could see it going either way. One of these guys is getting knocked out, in my opinion. Um, I would be confident picking Nick Nigamamura, but uh, I think his defense really scares me with Ike's power. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. This, this is definitely not going to the ground, in my opinion. Both guys lay there like dead fish. Yeah, I was about to say, I think the only time we see a mat exchange here is, you know, kind of like you said, if somebody gets rocked and it's just a desperation takedown, I could see it, especially if it's just a desperation shot that, like, they don't have any intentions of landing a takedown with. But like you said, you know, even though Nick's boxing defense isn't that great, the dude has a granite chin. He's a, he's a blockhead. I like that. That was that was pretty fucking good. And I just I don't think Ike is gonna have the ability to connect with all of these combinations. I don't think we're gonna see a lot of punches and bunches from him. So I think you're right. I think if he can get a good counter punch right on the chin, it's very possible we could see Nick go to sleep. But I, I see it. I see it going the other way. I think he's gonna get the finish, and I think we're still going to be frustrated on the other side of it that he's 11 and one and he's, you know, not that special. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to agree. I mean, he has a lot of work to do coming out 11 and one. Um, but look, but only I, I just, 27. I, yeah. I mean, he's young, but I just don't think Ike's that good. Like, yeah, he has knockout power and pretty good boxing offense, but he's really one dimensional and his chinny, which is two things that I'm not a fan of. And old. He's like 37. Yeah, I was about to say, getting chinny and having 30 professional fights is not a combination that tends to play well for people. Yeah. Um, okay, Chuck Liddell. Yeah. But let's get on like Donkey Kong. Let's keep moving, man. All right. We have Dwight Grant coming in against Francisco Trinaldo. All right, Dwight Grant coming off a win. He's uh, sitting at 11-3, and three, the body snatcher, coming in at 37, and he is 170 pounds. Of course, that would be the welterweight division, tall 6'1", the 76-and-a-half-inch reach. Um, his counterpart, Francisco, Francisco Trinaldo right here, he's coming at 26-and-8, a seasoned vet of the octagon, coming off a of, Lost versus Moosley and Sally Hockamuff. I butchered that. No worries. He's coming at 43 years old, so he's been around the block. Uh, 5'9 with a 70-inch reach. Obviously, a height and reach disadvantage for Francisco. 
But if you're still 43 years old, sitting in the UFC and fighting, you got something. They're not going to keep you around and, you know, let you collect Social Security. You know what I'm saying? No, man, I agree. I couldn't agree more. They, You know what they say is you have to be afraid of an old man who's still alive in a game where men die young. Like, this is not a game where people live to stay and fight at 43 years old, especially in the UFC, where we're seeing them constantly taking new prospects on, you know, weekly, almost daily, it seems like at this point. But the crazy part for me is that Y'all know I don't I don't like to pick the geriatrics. I don't like to pick the guys that are look like their grandpa walking into the ring. But as every single time we've probably picked Francisco Trinaldo three times now since we started the calf pick experience. Every single time I want to count this dude out, he manages to show me something. His last fight with Muslim Salikov was his debut at welterweight. So it's crazy to see an old dog that's still learning new tricks because after not having to kill himself to get all the way down to 55, he actually looked really fucking good. And I think he won that Salikov fight. You know, luckily I picked against him, so it worked out in my favor. But, you know, Trinaldo had his moments. And I don't think I don't think Dwight Grant is as good as Salikov. I don't think that there's anything particularly special that jumps off the page about Dwight Grant to me. I think he's I think he's apt on the feet. I think he's very, you know, solid. I think you could say he's well-rounded, but Trinaldo's a beast, man. He can strike and he's freaking he's powerful on the ground. He's got a good ground game. And unless you match him up with a guy like Stalikov, who has an equally dominating ground game, I, I find it hard to see him losing a fight on the ground. I think Trinaldo is gonna have the power advantage. I think he has you know, even if only slight, an advantage on the feet and an advantage on the ground. So I think Trinaldo is going to get this one done with some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think he's going to slide a choke in, but I give it round three. I think he gets this one done before the buzzer. Yeah, um, I have to agree. You know, Francisco Trinaldo is built like a redneck shithouse. And uh, I like him. I think he hits hard. I think he still has some juice in the tank. He obviously showed that uh, against Jai Herbert two times ago. Um, but, I, I I, mean, Dwight Grant is just, frankly, unimpressive to me. Uh, again, another guy with a conflated record or inflated. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Ten and three, um, but he's 37 years old. He hasn't really fought anybody, you know, that I'd be, oh, yeah, that's a good win. He's definitely moving up in the ranks. No. I mean, he sits here, parries, parries, and just, like, just walk around the octagon like that. And, like, the last fight I watched him, it irritated the hell out of me. Like, you have to throw a punch, you know, and throwing a punch from five feet out is not going to do you anything, you know? Um, that really irritated me. One reason I'm picking against him, and I think Trinaldo is really just about the action. He's about going to war. And you know, I, I can't say that for Grant. That doesn't mean he can't Grant can't, can't knock him out. I think Grant is a strong boxer um, when he decides to get in there. But I feel like he's a little bit scared to get hit. You know, I think he's a little bit more timid than he should be. I like to get him into the fire more. Uh, that's just my personal kind of approach, kind of like Aspen Lad last week. But <laughs> no, it's just funny, man, because like because Francisco Francisco Trinaldo is in his forties. 
we tweet we treat Dwight Grant like he's this kid, but he's almost 38 years older. He just turned 38 years old. Like the dude is not a spring chicken, even though he is newer to the professional MMA game. And then you look at his record, and the only guy with any merit, you know, besides for maybe a washed up Alan Juban, but the only guy with any merit he's fought is Daniel Rodriguez, and D Rod knocked him out in half a round, less than half a round in 2020. So, and he couldn't I, even put D Rod out. I mean, he hit D Rod with everything he had and still didn't put him out. No, I just, I, I think, like you said, he's been very timid. And because he's probably going to have the bigger presence, the bigger frame going into this fight, I see the exact same thing happening where he tries to walk Trinaldo down, get his back up against the cage, and then swarm him there. But if you're even the slightest bit crafty with your strategy and even the slightest bit quick, that's not something that works in the UFC. So I don't imagine a different result for Dwight Grant on Saturday night. Uh, I think we're both pretty emphatic. We're going with the 43-year-old still doing it in the octagon. Let's uh, get on to some odds. I was about to say, we didn't even look at the odds for the last fight, but I really don't think that that's a bad thing because they're not great, and that's not a great fight. Here, my friends, we have a chance to make a little bit of money. All right. Dwight Grant come in with plus money as the underdog, the best you can give him as that one. Plus 110. Trinado is coming in as the minus 125 favorite. Um, is that gonna let you bang this off first? What do you think? I mean, money line being at minus 125, I think that's a great value pick for Trinaldo. I think kind of scares me because I don't remember the last time that he was, you know, a pretty not even substantial, but a definitive favorite going into a fight. So I guess that gives me some reason to be nervous, but I, I like the fight doesn't go to decision at plus 110. I think that's your chance to get some plus money. I'm not even going to try to touch an over-under on the rounds right now just because, you know, this thing very well co- could go to decision. Vegas has it at minus 142 go to decision. I, I'm, I'm thinking it goes to decision. I'm almost positive this goes to decision, man. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see Grant getting a TKO, like I said, and I probably don't imagine Trinaldo's gonna get one either, unless it's on a you know, on a counter punch that just connects square across the chin because Grant's being too aggressive. But Trinaldo by submission at plus one thousand. That's what obviously at. it's at plus one thousand for a reason. You know, obviously it's not just up there so they can give away free money. But if you're really looking to snipe something here, those are great odds on something I see being a very realistic possibility for this fight. Yeah, no, by no means is it a lock, but good Lord. I mean, I I think if anything happens, I mean, the worst possible outcome, you know, a Trinado hits him with something, stuns him. He goes down to the ground, sinks in rear naked. But, you know, you don't know. It's hard to kind of guess these things. But plus 1,000, if you're looking for some plus money and just kind of put a little bit here, a little bit there, try to get a good return, then that's something to definitely look at. I mean, even worst case scenario, if you side with Gage and you're like, well, this one's definitely going to go to a decision because Grant can't scrap and Trinaldo's a grandpa. But 
Trinaldo wins by decision at is at plus 230 right now. I feel like that's a very solid bet, especially if you're just going to take the money line. At this point, I, I think it's fair to say that there's probably not, not definitely, but probably not going to be a knockout. So at that point, you have plus 1,000 for a submission or plus 230 for a decision. So you can go down and get your plus money. You just have to work for it. Yeah, absolutely. Bitches. Boats and hoes. Boats and hoes. All right. Our third five of the night is Alex Caceres versus Sengwu Choi. Of course, um, we've already had a fight with Sengwu Choi where he just absolutely obliterated Julian Arosa. And, uh, yeah, I called that fight wrong, and that was a quick finish, and my pick got finished quick. So <laughs> this week he's fighting Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres, and he's coming off a four-fight win streak. He's 33 years old, fighting in the what was that featherweight division at 145. He's coming at 5'10 with a 73-and-a-half-inch reach. Our boy Wu Choi is coming off a three-fight win streak. He's 28 years old. Uh, he's at six foot and a 74-and-a-half-inch reach. So these guys are eerily similar in height and reach. Um, but this should be an interesting matchup. I think we see this similarly, Zach. Um, and I think the general population does not necessarily see it the same way we do. Well, probably not. I'm sure looking looking in advance at the odds, Sungwoo Choi is a pretty substantial favorite here. And I, I see every reason why. The dude is absolutely dangerous on the feet. I mean, the dude can put your lights out. And for being a 145-pounder, being on the smaller half of the weight divisions, that's that's always something that we find interesting. That's always something that we want to watch. But He's lightning quick. His combinations are so fast. It's incredible. It's just, I mean, it's funny because you have a guy that can do all of this with his striking mixed with this combination of power. And I don't think either one of us has a bad thing to say about the guy outside of the fact that you look at his loss to Gavin Tucker, you look at some of the things that he's been doing and you realize dude's a liability on the ground. Dude is in trouble when you get his mat, when you get his back to the mat. I, I'm not saying that that's something that can prevent him from being a great UFC fighter. And I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that's not a problem that you can't more or less fix. But based on what I've seen of this dude's groundwork and knowing that my boy Bruce Leroy can wrestle, my boy Bruce Leroy can get your back to the mat. He's he's no slouch striking, but I think if you have to give the advantage to one or the other, Choi's probably the better just straight-up striker, and if this was a Muay Thai match, I would significantly favor Choi. But Sakaris is good on the feet. He's good on the ground, and I think that combination of being the better just all-around, well-rounded mixed martial artist, I think he's going to get him the win. I think he's going to probably get a win by decision, but I think he's going to churn Choi out on the ground and make his life very unpleasant for 15 minutes. Yeah, I think 
Alex Caceres definitely, if his camp, you know, smart about it, you realize that you don't necessarily have the edge in the stand-up striking and that his ground game is far superior than Choi's and that it, oh, it's going to be a liability for Choi. But, however, I don't think you're necessarily giving Alex Caceres as much props as we need to on the striking aspect of his game. Um, it's very interesting to watch his fights, especially when he stands up with somebody. Like, his stand-up brawl with Stephen Parker, who's notorious, just, you know, come at you with yeah, no he's regret. A yeah, he's a banger. He come at – all he did, circle. Counter strike, circle, counter strike. It was a master class. He tore up Steven Peterson, who's no slouch. He's a good fighter. Um, not yeah, great, no. but he's fun to watch. And he completely outboxed him. And it's a weird because he's just on his bike the entire time. And once you come in on him, he keeps on moving in and out, you know, gets his licks in. But I think Choi, we haven't really seen him move around. He's more of one of these stare you down kind of fighters that comes at you, just walks you down, you know, and throws bombs. And I think that Alex Caceres, you know, moving around the octagon the way he does and darting in and out on these counters, it's going to play a big role. And I think that obviously he has to worry about choice speed. Um, other than that, you know, obviously, definitely advantage Caceres on the ground. And I think that's where he wins the fight. No, I, I agree. I think I think Caceres is definitely a very good striker. I think it makes me nervous to realize that he's been finished on nine, you know, in nine separate fights with, I believe, a majority of those being knockouts. So I'm a little bit concerned about how his chin stacks up against Choi's power. But like you just kind of hinted at, like, it's really hard to judge somebody's chin when they're not getting hit. I'm not going to, I think Troy is going to land his punches and I think he's going to have some moments in this fight, but I think it's going to be predominantly Caceres. I think we're predominantly going to be watching Bruce Leroy do his thing. Yeah. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes him to take this to the mat, especially with Alex, you know, being on his bike, probably I'd say the whole first round and making Troy come after him. And then you get to the second round. And you get a takedown because his legs are a little gassed, Choi's, you know, by just trying to chase you around the octagon. I think that would be very interesting to see. But I think the matchup uh, really favors Caceres. Couldn't agree more. The odds, however, say otherwise. But that's why we're here. We're here to make money, folks. Alex Caceres coming in at a sizable. I don't know how to get rid of this. Oh, there's uh, X. Yeah. Uh, Casares coming in at a sizable plus 245 underdog. And Wu Choi, sizable favorite, of course, minus 278. So if you agree with anything that we have to say, you're licking your chops here and you're ready to, to hit the bank. Um, you see any prop bets that you also would like? I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more that getting plus money to this degree on this fight is like a gift, but they're not they're not giving us any gifts, the bookies, in terms of over-unders, in terms of decision picks. It, it's pretty 
pretty unanimous. It sounds like that this fight is going to go to a decision. So if you're going to bet on Choi and just F FTCKE, fuck the calf kick experience. Uh, yeah, I suppose you could probably get some good odds in there, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not coy on Caceres either wins by knockout or by submission. You know, maybe Choi will win by a knockout if he's going to get it done. That's how he's going to get it done in my head. But I, I don't know. Where is maybe I mean, get... wins by unanimous decision at plus 600. That's a pretty good bet for me on this fight, I think. I mean, I could also see, once again, submission plus 1235. I mean... That yeah, not bad. I mean, I, I don't I wouldn't parlay that necessarily, but it's worth taking a shot in the dark, man. I mean, I as as much as we see this going to the gr- ground for Caseras, I don't think it would be, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, hard for him to get a sub, you know, uh, especially with his prowess on the ground. So no, I I hear you, and look, just Sakaris to win by a decision is at plus 490. So realistically, if we're looking at the fights we've covered so far, this is probably your one to really maximize your bank. It's a little bit more risky. You know, this is probably the least definitive of the picks we've made up to this point, but if it hits, it's going to hit, man. It's going to hit harder than a Mack truck. I agree, and... uh... I think they're giving out some gifts. I mean, you. I think as much as we agree on this one, that kind of plus money doesn't happen often. I mean, that's something no. that I lick my chops at and be like, oh, all right, let's, let's get it. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, if you see plus 245 on a guy you think has a favorable matchup, that's 10 days a week, bro. That's. Derek Lewis is Popeye's chicken, man. <laughs> All right. The fourth out of six fight of this night. Once again, we have Jessica Rose Clark coming in against Jocelyn Edwards. Yes, folks, that's a tattoo. She has two face tattoos. Very scary. She's coming at 10 and 6. Uh, she's 33 years old, fighting out of the bantamweight division, 135, coming at 5'5 and 67-inch reach. Her counterpart this week is Jocelyn Edwards, coming at 10 and 3, coming off a loss. Um, she's 26 years old, also in the bantamweight division, coming at 5'8 with a 70-inch reach, obviously a height and reach advantage for Jocelyn Edwards. I don't know. These fighters, in my opinion, kind of underachieve. And I, I'll, I'll just hand this over to Zach. Zach, what do you think? Um, I guess to be general, what I think is that while the face tattoos are very intimidating, I don't think they're truly indicative of anything to necessarily be afraid of. Uh, I don't think Jessica Rose Clark off the off the page just comes at you and screams you know dominant angry uh, shit. I, I don't even really know what to say man I, I think both of these ladies are particularly average which I just guess is seeming to be the 
underlying theme of this card is average. You know, she beat she beat Sarah Alpar. That's a quality victory on her record. She's fought the better competition. I mean, significantly. Pani Kianzad, she has a loss. Jessica Eyes, she has a loss, which are two streakers in this division. Two ladies who are just continuing to get better and beat their opponents. Further back, she's got Paige Van Zant on the record. Then you look at Jocelyn Edwards, who's, I mean, she's still young. I'll give her credit that she still has a lot of room to grow. And I don't, I don't think she's a bad fighter by any means, but just kind of like I said about Jessica Rose Clark, very average. And then you look at her record, and she's got a loss to Sarah Alpar, albeit back in 20, 2018, 2018. But further down the record, like, None of these women are stacking up to the competition you see on Jessica Rose Clark's side. I think this is probably going to be one of those matchups that we see these women, you know, kind of facing off against each other, kind of looking each other in the eyes from across the octagon, doing a lot of shadow boxing, trying to uh, test, test the waters, test their range. I don't think this is going to be completely action packed by any means, but I think it I think it stays on the feet for a majority of the fight. I think we see you know a couple of exchanges every round and I think this ends up being a decision for Jessica Rose Clark and we all end up being mildly unsatisfied by the end of it. Mildly or extremely so we <laughs> like women's MMA for like I don't know a couple more weeks until they give us some actual matchups. I mean We've said this before, but, like, we love women's MMA. There's nothing wrong with it. But, like, good Lord, the difference in competition between the top and everybody else is just so pitiful. I mean, you either get lopsided wins for the girls that are at the top or, you know, these duds like they've put on the past couple weeks. I mean, UFC, you have to do better. You have to find better competition or you make better matchups. Um, but to get more into this fight, I think Jessica Rose Clark gets into it. I think she probably has more um, advantage up against the cage and clinch work. I think that's probably where she will take it. Like Jocelyn Edwards' stand-up, but it's just, you know, it's all right. It's average. She's not spectacular. She's not going to knock anybody out, in my opinion. And, you know, not going to really inflict that much damage. Um, the bantamweight re- – uh, Division is just dry. I mean, when you have Amanda Nunes at the top, she scares away everybody else. So I, I don't think there's much here in terms of entertainment either. I mean, if you want to see a girl with a face tattoo try to beat up another girl, maybe if that's your thing to look into. But other than that, I mean, I see Jessica Rose Clark getting a decision win. I was about to say, for all the face tat kinksters we have out there, we appreciate you watching the cap kick experience. <laughs> it has to be such a small demographic. Jesus Christ. Oh, look, you could only hope, man. There's people that are into weirder shit. All right. <laughs> enough of this shit. Yeah, um, enough of that. Jessica Rose Clark is the minus 148 favorite this week against Jocelyn Edwards, who is the plus 135. I mean, I'm not going near confident or anything, but minus 140. If you feel more confident than us, and I'm sure goes to decision, obviously heavy favorite. 
I'm not really seeing anything here that excites me or, you know, when you got wins by TKO above plus 500, you're not going to really see any fireworks. I just, it's tough because you look at, you know, when Jessica Rose Clark is winning, she's winning by decision. You know, she's winning by decision and she's, you know, she got the knockout over Sarah Allpar, but that comes with 421 left or with 421 in the third round, 30 seconds left in the fight. If that long story short, what I'm getting at is you might think she has the advantage on the feet, but she's not known for finishing fights. She's not known of getting in and out, known for getting in and out of the octagon quickly. My whole point is that you can take her at money line at minus 148, but if you go down and take her by decision, you get plus 140. And I have no no disrespect towards towards Edwards. I have no bad wishes for her, but I think Jessica Rose Clark is probably going to win all three rounds. So if you can get unanimous decision at plus 185 to make yourself a couple of extra bucks, like – that's not a bad bet either. I think probably saying that the fight in general goes to a decision at minus 275 could play in your advantage if you were going to make some parlays on this card. But just generally, I think Clark by by decision and unanimously so is the play. Yeah, I'm not taking any props. I'm, I'm just taking Clark just because, but not really liking it, Zach. Not really liking it. I couldn't care less myself either. Hey, we're just waiting for 267, 268, 269 even. I was about to say, who who took him to the bank on 266? These motherfuckers. These we, guys. We took him to the bank, and that's a fact. That's a fact. And it's a fact that we have our co-main event coming up. Grant Dawson versus Ricky Glenn. Grant Dawson coming in at a solid 17 and 1. Stellar record for the lightweight. And of course, that's 155 to, uh, pound division. He's 27 years old, too. So very young in the game and one of the most ferocious uh, divisions in all of the UFC. Dawson's coming in at 5'10 with a 72 inch reach. And then on his counterpart, we have Ricky Glenn coming at 22, 6, and 1. He's 32 years old, and he's coming at 6 foot with a 70 and a half inch reach. I think we see this the same way as a lot of people. Zach, there's only one way this fight goes, and that's with Ricky Glenn's back on the mat and getting drowned like a wet blanket. Agreed. I think Grant Dawson is just going to take it to him. He's going to get him down the ground, whatever he has to do, um, which I don't think Ricky Glenn's going to put up that much of an effort. Uh, I think he's going to get taken down pretty easily, ground and pounding through the floor, like Hulk smash. And I can't say if it's going to be a TKO or not, but Dawson all the way, he's taking this home. Um, but it's interesting to see how Dawson um, has improved since the last time we've seen him and how he gets into his takedowns because everybody knows what his game plan is. It's to take you down and to beat you up on the ground. 
However, he does have the ability to stand. I don't think his hands are as crisp as a lot of guys in the division to keep up with, but his kicks are actually really damn good, and I feel like they're underrated, and they keep his opponent at distance. So whenever he does go in to throw hands, you know, back out, throw some kicks, keep distance until he decides to shoot. So taking Dawson. Look, I couldn't agree more with you on that, man. Ricky Glenn, the gladiator, the dude's a scrapper. He's a guy that's been around the block a time or two. One of them team alpha male boys from Central California. But there's just not anything too impressive to look at with his record outside of a win over Gavin Tucker four years ago. So I, I, I just don't think, like you said, I think the stand-up's pretty good. I think he's, I think he'll be able to hold his own on the feet. But if you look at the other side, man, Grant Dawson has been so impressive since, you know, especially since being in the UFC. That last knockout he had coming with one second left in the whole fight. I look, people talk about Cody's knockout versus a Sensau being good because it was right at the horn. And then they neglect this knockout where not only did he technically, you know, he TKO'd Leandro Santros. He knocked him out cold. He put the dude's lights out. You saw his eyes roll into the back of the head and Santos mouthpiece out of his mouth. You know, he went to the fucking shadow realm. It was incredible to watch that fight too, because Santos is a guy that's, you know, pretty respectable on the feet. He's somebody that people said, Oh, well, if Grant Dawson can't get this to the mat, he's probably going to lose. Well, and ironically I, I, enough, he didn't get it to the mat, really. No, and he outstruck I, I, Santos. I think Santos got a better of a lot of exchanges. Um, I think that would have been a close decision for Grant Dawson either way if that didn't make it to the bell. But, you know, I, I think that was a big test for him. I don't think Ricky Glenn is going to be – even close to, you know, the problem Leonardo Santos gave him. No, I think if you want to look at this from the Vegas perspective and you say American football as your as your sport of comparison, where it's who beats who at a neutral site on a given day. I think Leonardo Santos beats Ricky Glenn in a neutral site in a fist fight on any given day. And I think if we're using that as a method for comparison, given that it was I mean, March isn't recent, but it's not as long as it's been since we've been since we've seen Ricky Glenn, if I'm not mistaken. So based on all the factors, I guess Ricky Glenn fought in June. Okay, he did get a win in June and he got it pretty quickly. But looking at the factors here, I I agree. I think this is going to be all Grant Dawson. I think Dawson's going to have the advantage both on the feet and on the ground. And the only thing that's really going to be an issue for him is having that game plan and being able to implement it. You know, being a team alpha male guy, we know Ricky Glenn is going to have game plan. You know, he's going to come in with a strategy that should put him in a good position to win this fight. So it's all going to come down to who really executes. And I think when it comes down to execution, KGD all day. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. But we should be looking for the Grant Dawson hype train to start rolling, folks, after after this week. I, I think it's his time. I think the UFC should put something behind him. 
a la, you know, Patty the Batty. I think these two would actually be a phenomenal matchup in the future. Guys with real good records, both great on the ground. I think it would be an interesting fight. I think it would be a fair fight. No, I just I think it's funny. And I know we're supposed to be talking about the odds, which we will, but as long as as long as Patty the Fatty is is coming up, Patty the Fatty, uh, I think the UFC is playing this very smart. You know, I don't think Luigi Vendramini is a small name. I don't think he's a bad fighter by any means, but I think that was a very safe fight to get the Patty hype train rolling. And I'm not saying the Patty hype train wasn't already rolling. Cage Warriors is a very respected promotion. It's the biggest promotion in all of Europe. But I think they would be some damn fools to throw Patty to the wolves and give him a Grant Dawson or a Terrence McKinney or one of these young up-and-coming 155ers that's just whooping dudes' asses. Because I think Patty's still got a lot of improvements to make before he puts himself in that upper echelon of UFC 155ers. Anywho, back to the odds. Grant Dawson, minus 350 favorite, which is kind of tough. Actually, it's really tough. Um, Ricky Glenn coming at plus 310 underdog. Obviously, um, I think we're pretty staunch, if you haven't noticed, on Grant Dawson taking this. So we're going to take a look and see how or what we think he's going to get to do the win. Zach? No, I, I agree with what you said. I mean, you hit it, and if y'all don't ever watch these videos past the two- or three-minute mark, Gage gave you the bet. Dawson wins by TKO or KO at plus 400. All of the props for this fight not going to decision are in the plus money area. Man, it's it's just up to y'all to mix and match them. This is a, this is a Wendy's five for five right here. You get... The fight doesn't go to decision just generally. Dawson by KO, and then what? Dawson wins inside the distance at plus 170. These are all very liable picks, and if you can if you can snap them together and make something out of just this fight, you're making a shit ton of a lot more money than just playing the minus 350 underdog because we all expect him to win. Yeah, I think whatever your gut's telling you, you go with. I think the plus money on the props here are tantalizing. I mean, even if you just, you know, throw a little bit in on fight doesn't go to decision at plus 120. So, I look, I just realized I said the minus 350 underdog we all expect to win. That's like saying almost definitely the large jumbo shrimp we all don't, I don't know. It was oxymoronic in itself. Yeah, that was pretty bad, Zach. It was rough, but, but as you long know as we all... know that I know I was wrong and I don't stand by it. Well, you know what's also wrong? This fight that's coming up in the main event at 185 pounds is not happening. Dude. Not happening at 185. Of course, big news today, Paolo Costa is not going to make 185 pounds for the middleweight limit. Um, this fight is probably going to be scheduled for a catchway at maybe 195 or light heavyweight at 205. Doesn't matter. Uh, Vittoria wants to smoke. Costa wants to smoke. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but let me introduce the fighters. Paolo Costa coming at 13-1. 
coming off a significant layoff of 13 months where he last lost uh, last October, I believe, to Israel Adesanya very, via very early KO. The eraser, Costa, coming at 30 years old, not fighting in the middleweight division this time, but 6'1", 72-inch reach. Uh, his opponent, Marvin, the Italian dream, Vittori, also coming off a loss to Papa Israel Adesanya in a title fight. He's at 28 years old, um, fighting at six foot with a 74 inch reach. You know, I think that this not making weight or making a catch weight makes this a lot more interesting, you know, um, especially for Costa, but not saying that Vittori is not a huge guy either. I think Vittori is a massive 185-er. Um, but, you know, everybody has their theories about why Costa is not making weight this week. Uh, you can go to More Plates, More Dates on YouTube and look up Paolo Costa from our boy Derek going over the steroid cycle, what Zach thinks he's on. But uh, who knows? But I do know one thing, Zach. Israel Adesanya lives rent-free in both these guys' heads. No, I couldn't agree more. He's he's daddy to both of these children and quite possibly the funniest piece of content I watched all week that I took in all week was Israel Adesanya breaking down this fight because while he gives props where props are due, he gives none unless you earn them. And quite truthfully, his summary of the fact that both of these guys suck should be a very good indicator of the fact that he's on a whole nother planet than the entire rest of the middleweight division outside of maybe Robert Whitaker, because these are definitively two of the top five guys in that division. These are easily two of the, of the best contenders we have at 185. Those are the last two challengers. And, and I just, at 185. yeah, they're the, you're absolutely right. They're the last two to fight for the title. And it's just, it's crazy. Cause you already hinted at it. And I'll give my theory that like, Paulo Costa trying to make 185 is going to end up the exact same way TRT Belfort did, I feel like, where if you can make 185, you're going to knock dudes' heads off like a Pez dispenser. But the odds of you making 185 at that point are just so slim, especially if you mistime your cycle and you're in this bulking phase at the time you need to be cutting weight to make a fucking weigh-in and be... He's 211 pounds as of Thursday, and he's supposed to be 185 pounds as of Friday. So I'm just not sure what the logic was there. You know, quite simply, it seems as if Paulo Costa is very indifferent towards the whole idea of even having to make weight. You know, I, I just watched an interview with him where he basically said, why would I kill myself to make 185 pounds and make weight? if I just know they're going to let me do this catch weight fight, like why would I kill myself and go out there and lose when I can give minimal effort to make it, you know, to make myself have an advantage. Like I think Paulo being as big as he is already for 185 pounds and, you know, Vittori's the brick shit house, La brick is shit the house. Eh? But, uh, <laughs> One yeah, that can I'm not withstand saying was- meatball son. Look, I'm not saying he's a small guy, but he's significantly smaller than Paulo Costa. And if you're going to give Paulo 10 more pounds over him, 
look, man, I, I think that this fight had very minimal implications on the on the middleweight division as it was because neither one of these guys was walking straight back into a title fight, but the winner was always going to keep their name relevant. Now I think both of these names stay relevant and this fight holds very little implication because it's not going to be at 185 pounds. Long story short, if we're going to call this analysis or breakdown or whatever, I'll pass the pass the torch back to my homie, but I think Costa is going to be better on the feet and unless Vittori can survive the onslaught of what he's going to get in those first two rounds and just grind him out. I know he's a tough guy to finish, but I think with the size and strength advantage that he's going to have, if Costa can connect, he he rocked Yoel Romero, which was not something we saw done very regularly throughout Romero's career. So I think Costa definitely has the ability to rock Marvin Vittori. And I imagine that he will, put his lights out especially at 195 or over 200 pounds yeah i think uh it's safe to say that anybody that's a fan of mma that has previously been exposed to paulo costa um prior to his uh title fight against adesanya you saw an absolute savage fucking vintage i'm talking axe murder Vanderlei Silva style. I'm talking knocking dudes head off, getting into absolute fucking wars. Something that nobody can't like. It's entertainment. It's pure sport. Um, and I, I want to see it. I want to see it so bad. I want to see a vintage Palo Costa fight so fucking bad. Um, and I think he has the power to knock out Vittoria, like you said. But one thing that scared me into his press conference today, he goes, I don't watch tape on Paolo, on Vittori. He didn't watch any tape. He doesn't know what his game plan is. He said, I've watched very little. And he's just going to go out there and do what he does. I'm like, bro, I haven't really seen your takedown defense. I know Yoel Romero kind of had a stand-up battle with you and didn't really keep you down whenever he did take you down. But for the love of God. You got to defend these takedowns. Vittori's takedowns are relentless. I mean, pretty much the only guy in the past few years that have been able to stop his takedowns is Izzy, and we all know Izzy is very good at it. Um, but yeah, I think Vittori, he's going to get all headstrong and want to go in there like, yeah, this guy's a brawler. This guy likes to throw. I like to throw. Let's chunk some leather. We're going to meet in the middle. And I think once he catches one punch, he's like, nope, not doing this. I'm going to take this guy to the ground. But – because I want to see a war, I'm going with Costa. Look, man, as you have to give props where props are due for a guy being a tough guy and saying, I trained my ass off. I'm a real fighter. I'm here to fight. But I, I can't say enough about what this size, you know, move up is going to give an advantage to Paulo Costa. Like, I think if there's even, even if you want to look at it minimally, being 10 pounds heavier will just make it, a, that much tougher, and B, that much more straining when I, I do find it inevitable that Marvin is going to shoot and try to get that takedown because I think we're all very on the fence and questionable about Paulo Costa's takedown defense. But if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't think the dude's a slouch on the ground. I think, he's a, I think he's a very decent grappler, and I think he has 
his merits in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm not going to call a guy a black belt. I'm not sure he's a black belt, but I'm almost confident that Costa is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I'm not saying that that, you know, we, we talk all the time about guys having a difficult time winning fights off their back. I'm not saying that makes the difference here, but I am saying that he's not going to lay on his back like a starfish and just take, take it in the ass from Vittori. Like I definitely think that he's going to, even if it's a la Derek Lewis esque where he gets taken down and just kind of does some very non-technical, Hey, get the fuck off of me and just kind of shoves him. I think Marvin is going to have a very difficult time getting things going especially because we saw how easy Adesanya was able to keep him kind of at range and just neutralize everything he had offensively. Yeah. I think, I think Costa not watching tape, like you said, is detrimental to his success. But if he's not watching tape because he's focusing on his own game and making improvements and he is just obsessed with redeeming himself from the way that he lost in that title fight and then getting humped, like a freaking two dollar whore afterwards. Like, I I think that Costa's got a lot of anger. I think look, he's fighting angry Marvin. I think we're fighting. I think we're seeing two guys that are very angry. Two guys that are look. I'll slide it in there. Equally ding dong ish. You know, you see that picture of Marvin Vittori before his Izzy fight with his shorts on backwards, and then you see Costa who said, "Well, I lost to Izzy because I got anxious and drank." two bottles of wine the night before the fight. Like, how stupid are you? A- a- anyway, the- they should put a, they should put a belt on the line. MMF mad motherfucker belt. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I just think while this is a very good matchup and while this is something that should, you know, be implicative, I think at the end of the day, this is just a fun one for the fans. I think this is going to be, Something that in some way, shape, or fashion gives us that entertainment we're looking for on a Saturday night. But for our sake and for our wallet's sake and for the sake of finally getting hopefully 50 fucking subscribers, we're both going to take the underdog Paulo Costa here. I want, how much has the line moved today, Zach? I feel like it's probably shifted. But um, uh, Let me see. Let's see. But uh, Marvin Vittori coming as a minus 145 favorite. Costa plus 140 underdog. Um, not really anything, you know, here in the rounds that I see that's too tantalizing. Dude, this is just because you brought it up. This is one of the crazier things I've seen in a while that this fight opened you know it got announced and opened on august 4th and paulo costa was a minus 150 favorite now the barn doors have completely slid in the other direction it's the complete opposite and as of this morning paulo costa opened at plus 131 so he's gone from plus 131 to plus 140 just today which I mean, that could that could be just one or two guys making fat bets on Vittori, but it's it seems like everybody's undervaluing Paulo Costa just because they think that Izzy mind fucked the guy. Yeah, well, one thing that that I worries me for sure in this matchup 
is he said something in his press conference when he was asked, why didn't you make weight? Was it due to an injury? He said, I'll let you know after the fight. So there's something going on, in my opinion, but I don't care. He's underdog. I think he's better. Um, hopefully his ailment is not significant and he, he can compete. Just be wary. Fire is no. Dude, I just think that we neglect how good Paulo Costa was before that Izzy fight. Like you said when you started, I mean, that dude was a beast. He was hurting people. But what, I guess he's only fought like twice in the past three years, I think. Yeah. He, he fought something it, like he that. Fought, he fought Izzy last year, and the year before that, he fought. Uh, Yoel. Yoel. That's it. So, I don't know. Uh, do you have any props for us this week? Look, man, if you're getting plus 140 as your money line and there's still a pretty substantial chance that that could continue to go up, I say wait until Saturday and take Paulo Costa at the money line is probably just your best option. But if we need to look at a prop, Costa by TKO at plus 235. That's all I really got, man. I think that one is your best chance to find success. Fuck playing the over-under rounds on this one because who knows, but. That's it. I was about to say, if y'all are looking. If y'all are looking for the money right here, Costa by knockout is where the calf kick experience sits. And on Saturday, we going to figure this bitch out. Yes, sir. Zach, tee it up. Tee it up, man. Oh, man. I haven't done a five-minute championship round in a minute. We got five minutes. We're going to bring y'all as much of our straight opinions, MMA news, and non-show-related content as we can. The clock is set, and here we go. Our boy Chuck Liddell. I don't know what's up with these fucking fighters getting in trouble the past few weeks. Apparently, domestic violence, unfortunate, never condone that kind of behavior. You know, these guys are just troubled, man. Uh, in the in the past couple of days, it, it's come out that I don't think they're actually going to charge him with anything. And Chuck's side of the story is that his ex-wife was actually hitting him when the cops showed up and that he never laid a hand on her, but because somebody had to go to jail that night, he took her place. I'm not really sure if I completely believe that. I, cause I, you know, I don't know how that would work. It doesn't seem sensible, but at the end of the day, if they're not pursuing charges, it couldn't have been that litigious. And at the end of the day, like you said, these guys are troubled and I think it's really becoming alarming the rate in which it seems like CTE is starting to come for some of these guys' brains. Well, yeah. I, I mean, on just to further my point, uh, we've had Luis Roberts. Um, he's gotten in trouble. I think he had domestic violence. No. Yeah, Luis uh, Pena, violent Bob Ross, got arrested twice in yeah. the past six months for domestic violence. Yeah. What a fucking schmuck. Fuck that guy. 
violent Bob Ross looking motherfucker. Um, and then I saw something today. Um, a former UFC fighter uh, got off of tempted murder charge by plea of insanity. Yeah. Uh, he tried to murder his sister, former UFC fighter. Yeah, I crazy, saw that crazy, crazy sport. You know, you have you have to really take into account what these people do for a living and how much damage their brains take. It's quite unfortunate. No, I agree, especially looking, you know, just at, in a whole at, at the John Jones situation that took place. Look, you can't you can't give that guy any more chances. Because at this point, it's become clear that he's just a master emotional manipulator. He is going to make himself look like the victim, and he's going to make us feel bad for him, regardless of the circumstances. But it's hard to dismiss what he said about, I have brain trauma, and when you mix brain trauma with alcohol, that's like loading up a time bomb and expecting it not to explode. So, you know, hopefully we can get John off the sauce, but... Like you said, it's just very disheartening to see what's happening to some of these guys five, ten years even after they come out of what you consider to be their prime in mixed martial arts. Yeah. But on a better note, we have 267 and 268 back-to-back weeks after this. Boy, am I looking forward to 268. Holy. Dude, this is – that's – I mean, that is a – drop a load in your undies two weeks in a row kind of situation. So as much as you want to, as much as you, both of us, as much as the MMA community wants to hold a grudge against the UFC for kind of putting on some dud cards the past couple of weeks, you got to look at, you got your light heavyweight Grand Prix fights in Bellator last weekend. So that I guess almost made up for it. And if you really look at 267 and 268, they're stacked from the early prelims through the top of the main card. If they disperse some of those fights, sure, they could have put on better fight nights, but why would you when you have people that are going to pay to watch these fights? I'm a streamer at heart, but if it comes down to it, I will pay every dollar for 268 just to make sure I don't miss even a second of that action. Yes, yeah, sir. There's nothing, uh, no shame in that. No shame in that at all. I think 268 is going to be a phenomenal card. I think Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler is going to be an absolute war. No, you know the funniest thing I saw about that today on Twitter? I Look, I am going to pray tonight that Chandler versus Gaethje doesn't end up like Lewis versus Ngannou did. Stop it. Stop it right now. Take your gone.